We're going to Judges, chapter 21. Judges, chapter 21. Let's read the verse that's going to really put the whole chapter and the whole book into context. Last verse. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for your good word that shows us and gives to us words, shows us your will, that shows us who you are, what you desire from us, what you want from us. Father, we pray for everyone that sits here this morning, that each one will hear your voice, because you are a God who speaks. In the name of Yeshua, we pray. Amen. This verse really shows to us the situation in Israel at the time. There's no justice. There's no judgment. There's no one to watch over to keep charge. There's no one to put things in order. Everyone does what they think is right in their own eyes. When there is no king, there's also no kingdom. So therefore, everyone does what they want. We call this, we call this democracy. And so in Greek, the word demokratia or democracy means the people rule. Demokratia, the people rule. And when the people rule, this is what happens. I'm not just saying this. Let's look at the country now in which we're living. We're now in the last days we've had holidays with our government. There are things that are very, very difficult, situations that are very difficult with our prime minister, our president, the people that are in our system, our governing system with the Knesset. There are many people within our governing system that are being investigated, interrogated, and we are sitting in our homes usually, and we're, we're really blaming them. How could they behave like this? But I want to tell you this morning that we are partakers of this. Who chose them? We did. And it doesn't matter, if you pay attention, it doesn't matter which party you belong to. When you choose a man who is flesh and blood, to, go, to rule over you, you hope for something good. But the Word of God speaks to us and teaches us that every single person sins. And when you put a sinful person over you, that he has the power of authority, that he has the authority to reach in and take care of the money, even if he was okay, when he gets to that point in that moment, in that place, there's a great chance that he will fall. And I say that even for each one of us that are sitting here. We could have been in that same status, and we would not have been immune to things that happen. Therefore, we need a king. And I'm not speaking about a king who's flesh and blood. Let's turn to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 18. Here, Moses, God gives Moses instructions for choosing a king. We're going to Deuteronomy 17, Deuteronomy 17, verse 14. When you come to the land which the Lord your God has given you and possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. Danny said in English, in Hebrew, it was supposed to be chapter 18, but he's just double checking that we're keeping track. Deuteronomy 17, 14, which is where we were at. In that moment, 
um, God knew that the people of Israel would want a king over them like all the other nations. And so he gave these instructions to Moses. And there's always the possibility, there's always the wanting that we want to be like other nations. We don't want to be different. We want to be exactly like the West, their uh, cultured people, their advanced people. And so God already knew this beforehand. So he said, so he said okay, God says, okay, if you want a king that's flesh and blood, this is what you need. Verse 15, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your brethren you shall set as a king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. So here, what does God say? God says there is no democracy here. There is not going to be a voting booth where you can go and choose who you want to vote for. Who's choosing the king? God is choosing the king. And the king needs to be from within the people. Maybe they would try to choose uh, somebody for us who is from Switzerland or someplace else. He needs to come from within the people of Israel. So verse 16, he guards over them and he gives them a warning. But he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. And so the situation that is if the king has many horses, and Danny's trying to understand this, if he has strength and power, if he has properties, there is a chance that the king would cause the people to go back to Egypt. And I believe here we're not speaking only about the country or the land of Egypt, but we're talking about the quality of life that the people had while they were in the land of Egypt. The time of slavery, somebody who was guarding over them, keeping over them. There was no rule. There was no freedom. There was ruling, there was pain, there was suffering. In every area of your life, with your children, with your fields, with everything you had, it was not really yours. So in verse 17, it says also, neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. And who, who really gets, there, there are some kings in Israel that have failed in this area. King Solomon, how many wives did he have? How many did he have? And so there was 700 wives, somebody said. Approximately he had 1,000 women. So Danny says, praise God, he has one wife, Luann. And he's going to hold on to her till the end. That's enough for him. But we know from the end of Solomon's life, so from all the wives that they had at the end of his days, they were able to turn his heart away from God and turn his heart to other things. And he also says, Neither shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself, that he would not be too rich, that he would just have what he needs, a humble king. And what does he need to do? Verse 18, and also it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priest, the Levites. His job? His job was not so that he would start to fulfill lusts or fle fleshly things because of his reputation. So basically, the king is supposed to be writing down the law. And we know that when you write something, you remember it better. And so, verse 19, And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes. All the days of his life, he was supposed to be learning 
this law. He needed to know the law. He needed to learn to fear the Lord. Who wants to be a king? It's not easy to be a king. It's not so great to be in such a high reputation or status and be able to do many things. But you are really limited. You are one who are supposed to be busy with the law. One who is fearing the Lord. One who is humble. And verse 20, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. God wanted to guard over the king so that he would not be proudful. So he would not start to think that he is above the people. So God gives these instructions. And this was all given before the time of the kings. And in the book of Judges, we read at the beginning, there was no king in the, people, in the land of Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Then we come to Samuel. And so the worst of things happen. Go to 1 Samuel, please. 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. Up until this time, the Lord spoke to the people of Israel through his prophet, through the authority that they had. 1 Samuel 8, verse 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. Verse 6. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. The elders of Israel, the people of Israel, they wanted a king like all the rest of the nations. And Samuel feels bad about this. And he takes it to God in prayer. And God answers him. And verse 7, it's a very important verse. And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. I believe in these verses that God is really sharing with us the feelings that he felt at that exact moment. It's not, he says to Samuel, it's not that they don't want you or they don't like you, but he says it's the fact that they don't want me to be a ruler over them or a king over them. And this is what happened. The people, the people did not want the kingdom of God. They wanted to be like other nations. They wanted the freedom. They wanted to be able to do what they wanted to do. God gave laws and commandments to the people of Israel. He gave them borders, but they didn't want that. They wanted to do what everybody else was doing. And so they pushed God away from being their king and their ruler. God does not uh, give up on just, he gives to them what they wanted. And this is where God gives us the, the ability to choose. Free choice. You can choose to be under the control, the authority of God, or you can be under the authority of the world around us. I believe the biggest lie around us is that somebody who thinks that they go out from under the law of God, that he is free, he's really mistaken. Because the moment that he leaves that authority or the rulership of God, you become a slave. You turn into a person who you think you have free choice, but you're really turning into a person 
who is under slavery and the person who is ruling over you causing you to do worse things than you ever thought of. If you learn time of the kings in the Torah, most of the kings that the people of Israel had did not walk according to the plan and the way of God. And when a king whose flesh and blood does not walk after the plan of God, who is in pain here? We are. So there's always the chance that if he walks in the way of God, we will be blessed. If he does not walk in the way of God, then we are not blessed. We are suffering. God said to the people of Israel very clearly, I have separated you from all the other nations. You are to me a kingdom of priests. You are to me a holy people. You are a chosen people. I am separating you from all the other nations. You have been called to be different. You are called to be different from everything that is happening around you. And to be different, it's not always so much fun to be different. Sometimes to be different, it means that you are swimming against the tide. Most of the majority is doing something particular, and you're not doing that. Uh, maybe it's a possibility that they will make fun of you. Maybe they will joke about you, and maybe they will persecute you. It's not fun to be different. But in all of this, God is calling each one of us here to be different, to be one who belongs to God, to allow him to be the king over our lives. This is true freedom. This is the true life. So Samuel gives to them a warning. We won't read it all, but in, in verses 11 to 18, he says to the people, just know that if you choose a king who's all over you, flesh and blood, there will be a price to pay that you will need to pay. It's, the price is that he will take your sons and your daughters to serve him. He will take your fields, all of your good fields that you have worked hard on. He will take your vines, your vineyards. All of the work that you have done with your own hands, he will take unto himself. And when it's hard for you, and when you cry out to God, God will not hear your cry. And you know, after all of these things, they say to him, no, we want a king. Flesh and blood, we want a king. And so we begin the time of the kings in Israel, and the first king was King Saul. In the word of God, we have many prophets and that have prophesied about the kingdom of Messiah Yeshua. We are going to read from Zechariah chapter 9. Zechariah. Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the fowl of a donkey. So in this prophecy, even the Jewish rabbis believe that this prophecy is about Messiah. And he gives a description of this king. He will be just. He will be low. And he will be riding on a donkey. A king. Have you seen a king lately looking like this? Just, low or humble, and riding on a donkey? Usually kings ride on horses. The best horses, the great horses. Shows who they are, shows their status. And they're not humble. They have much. But the same Messiah, when he comes, 
He will be humble. And now I want to draw your attention to Yeshua. 2,000 years ago, when Yeshua arrived or came on the scene, he was humble, he was just or right. And we read also in the scripture that he rode a donkey when he came into Jerusalem. So many places, many places around Israel, we have these signs that are put up that says, um, this is the Messiah, and it's the, they call it the Messiah of the Lubavitcher rabbi. Call him and have a blessing from him. So first of all, we do not believe that he is Messiah. And first of all, he is not humble. Have you seen his house? He did not come on a donkey. He came on a plane, 747, from El Al, and he died, and he's still not risen back to life. And in our history of Judaism, we have many antichrists, even Bar Kokhba, that Rabbi Akiva said to him, here, here's the Messiah. And up until now, they call that he is the son of lies. We will not go into this, but there were many antichrists or anti-messiahs. Therefore, we need to look at the description that is written for us in the scriptures. Let's look at another prophecy in the book of Micha. Eh, Micah. Micha chapter 5. Micah chapter 5. Verse 2 in English. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. So here we have a prophecy of the same Messiah. And um, the definition of king is also one who will come, a ruler. And where will he, this person come from? From New York? No. From where will this person come from? From Bethlehem. Where was Yeshua born? And which tribe will he come from? He'll come from the tribe of Judah, of David, son of David. He will have been from old, from everlasting, even before the world was created. His origin that was that he was from before. He already was. And this same king, we believe, through the scripture verses, is only... This only relates to one person through the scriptures, and this is Yeshua. Yeshua was here in the land 2,000 years before. He proclaimed the scriptures, and he said, the kingdom of heaven is here. He raised from the dead. Sinners repented and rejoiced and found new life. He healed people, and in the end, in the end it says that because of jealousy, they gave him over to the Romans. And on the way to him being crucified happened something very important that I believe even relates to what's happening in Israel. So we're going to read this in John, in the New Covenant, John chapter 19. John chapter 19. So the heads of the Jewish people turned Yeshua over to the Romans. In the Jewish council at the time, they did not have the authority to put a man to death. And so therefore they came to the Romans and they said, they asked the Romans to take him out and to give him the death punishment. And so at that time, it was happening in Jerusalem. And they brought him to Pilate. And we'll read from verse 15, John chapter 19. 
But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? Chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. And that same moment, the people of Israel at the same time, they rejected the Messiah Yeshua, and they chose for themselves a king who was Caesar. And if you remember, we read from the book of Deuteronomy that the king that you choose needs to be from within the people of Israel. And they chose a foreign king, a king who was serving idols, Caesar, the Roman king, that he would be their king over them. And I believe from that same moment until now, I believe that we are under the kingdom, that we are under the kingdom of the Roman culture, the Greek culture, that the humanistic thinking that says man is in the center of everything, we have no need for God. And from there, Yeshua went forth to be crucified. He died. But praise God. On the third day, amen, he rose from the dead. Hallelujah. Can we have a hallelujah? Amen. You know, when Yeshua was on the cross, they had a sign over him. And this was really his guilt of what he was guilty of. And you know what he was guilty of being? King of the Jews. This was what he was being guilty, charged with. And even the people of Israel at the same moment, they missed this. Our God is so full of mercy and grace. And we see it here. We see here Jews, non-Jews, who have found Yeshua, the King of the Jews. We sang before that all of Israel will be saved. And when it happens, God, Yeshua will reign. He will be the King of Israel. He will be the King of the world. It's not that he will be. He already is. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. In, in Norway, there's a king. And in England, there's a queen. But he is the King of Kings. Amen. There is no one else like him. Amen. Hallelujah. So now I want to speak to those among us who have received the kingdom of heaven for themselves. If we have allowed him to be king over our lives, that means that we are called to be part of this kingdom. The king has a kingdom. So the kingdom of heaven has two different definitions. It is the future where we will one day be in heaven with God, with Yeshua, but is also a kingdom of God that is here on the earth. Let's turn to Luke. Luke chapter 17. Luke 17, verse 20. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. In Greek, where it says that the kingdom of God is here, it means that it is within you. The kingdom of God is found within us. It's not only in the heavens. Oh, over there is the kingdom of heaven, or over there at that particular place is the kingdom of heaven. From the moment that Yeshua really rules and reigns over you, you are automatically 
part of his kingdom, and his kingdom is in you and over you. And the word of God teaches us that the word of God teaches us that Yeshua has bought us with a price, with his blood. He says, you are not of yourselves. I have bought you. What does this mean? All of your desires, all of your dreams, all of, your, all of the things that you want in life, they are not yours anymore. They are the king's. And he is the one who leads you. He is the one that will guide you. And believe me, he calls us and chose us. He does the best work. And sometimes when Danny wants to buy his wife, Luann, a present for her birthday, this is one of the hardest things to do. What to buy? I had a, he had a few times where he messed up. He goofed off. But she, in, in the beauty of who she is, said, oh, it's beautiful. And so then I saw during time that maybe that dress or whatever I bought her went to somebody else. And so the decisions that we make in life, most of the time, they do not succeed. Sometimes they do. But when the king of glory rules and reigns over you, he is the king of you, and he shows you who you're to marry. He tells you where you're to work. He gives you the ability of how to relate to others. And when he tells you, he does not make a mistake. He is a good king. He's right. He is perfect. It doesn't mean that we are always loving the decisions that he makes for us. But we are his servants. We are his slaves. And we say, yes, my king, whatever you say. The kingdom of heaven is within us. Let's go to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11. Matthew 11, verse 12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. The kingdom of heaven breaks forth. It's open for everyone. But in order to come into this kingdom of heaven, you have to take it. You have to grab hold of it. And this word comes that we need to take it by force, aggressively. To go after Yeshua, to follow Yeshua, to receive his sovereignty and his lordship over my life is not easy because it shows and it says that we are dead to sin. We are dead to the desires of the flesh that we had before we knew Yeshua. And so the most important thing right now that you need is the kingdom of heaven. It's the lifestyle of the kingdom. And you need to grab hold of it, take hold of it, by force, to be aggressive about it, with faith, your strong faith, not to take it so gentle and easy, because we have, we have, we have an enemy, because this enemy wants to take us away completely from the connection, the relationship that we have with God. Therefore, we are always in a war, and we need to take forth aggressively what God has for us, the lifestyle. Matthew chapter 6. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We'll read verse 25. 625. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Yeshua here is encouraging the believers, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. All the physical things, the material things that we often think about 
things that cause us worry. Because most of the time, it, it keeps each of us thinking and doing things. How am I going to take care of my family? It keeps us busy thinking these things. How am I going to take care of the bills? He says, don't worry about these things. Let me just tell you what you need to do. Let's read verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things shall be added to you. To first request or seek first the kingdom of God. This is a serious request. Because it says that your kingdom will come and your will would be done. When we pray this prayer, when we pray this prayer, it doesn't just mean that the kingdom of heaven will become uh, around us or our area. But it means that the kingdom of heaven would come to my life, that you will be the king of my life, Lord. Lord, that you would be the first, that your righteousness, that your glory would be the first things that I would run after, that I would chase after. More so than the things, the materialistic things that I would chase after. God is calling us to a kingdom of heaven, a lifestyle, a lifestyle of the kingdom of heaven, not just what will be in the heavens. The lifestyle of the kingdom of heaven is when the king rules over your life and over your heart. I want us to take some time to pray now. Let's stand. I do not want to finish this meeting without giving a chance or an opportunity for people here to really meet the King of Glory. There are some people here who are visiting. Maybe somebody has invited you, but I believe it's not by chance that you are here with us. But I believe it is the hand of God that has brought you forth this morning. And I believe that this day, I believe that this day is the day that your life can change from from one point to the other. It's a matter that each one of you can receive this. It's not something that's done by force, but God wants you to know he's waiting for you. He is king of kings, the Lord of lords, and he wants this relationship with you. And so I want to allow those of you that would like prayer and also to pray on your own. If there are people here that God has spoken to you and you want this morning to know the King of Kings, the King of Glory, the same King that I spoke about, I want you to raise your hand and we will simply pray for you. If there's anyone here that wants to know the King of Glory, we want to pray for you. Amen. Those of you that have raised your hands, if you could come up to the front where Pastor Danny and others could pray with you. We don't need to be embarrassed. This is the house of God here. This is the place that God wants to meet us. So come forward and we will pray for you. I want to give another call. And this is for those of you that already believe. So God has put on Pastor Danny's heart in a very clear way that you are not walking in the lifestyle of the kingdom of heaven that God has called you to. And it brings itself forth in compromising of your faith. But God calls to you this morning. He wants to, he wants to uh, fan the flame of fire that was in you with your desire towards him. 
And if this speaks to you, then I also want you to come forward so we can pray with you. Prayer team will come. The rest of you can just be in a moment of prayer for these that have come forward.